My father used to say when he was asked, what book of the Bible is your favorite? He said, the one I'm reading. I like that. For me, it is the book of Revelation. For me, uh, we in our study have saved the best till last, and God in assembling the Bible saved the best till last. And it's a perfect ending because it takes us back to the beginning. Comparing the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, this is in your notes, but it is magnificent. The origin of, of species is in the book of Genesis. The destiny of species is in the book of Revelation. The creation of all things is in the book of Genesis. The culmination of all things is in the book of Revelation. In Genesis, Christ is the Alpha. In Revelation, Christ is the Omega. In Genesis, we see the beginning of human history, and in Revelation, the ending. Genesis, it's the creation of the heaven and the earth. In Revelation, it's the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Genesis is the formation of the sun and the moon. In Revelation, there is no more need for sun and moon because Christ is the light and we don't need any other luminaries. Genesis, we see the people enjoying the presence of God in the temple garden. And at the end of Revelation, we see the people enjoying the presence of God in the temple city. From two people enjoying His presence to who knows how many million people enjoying His presence. Genesis contains the first marriage. Revelation contains the final marriage. The wedding supper of the Lamb. When the bridegroom and the bride will be reunited. Genesis contains the beginning of sin. And Revelation is the end of all sin. With the beginning of sin, we see the work of Satan in Genesis, but in Revelation, it's the end of the work of Satan and his final destruction. With the coming of sin in Genesis, we see the origin of sorrow and pain. But in Revelation, we see the removal of all sorrow and pain and how God will wipe away every tear from every eye. And in Genesis 3, 15, 16, 17, it's the first promise of the coming Messiah. And in the book of Revelation, it's the revealed Messiah who has finally come back for the church. Now, you can, you can cut loose with another applause. I know you can. It's absolutely magnificent. Now, some people shy away from the book of Revelation. First of all, some people call it the book of Revelations. Let me tell you, it's not plural, it is singular. And that's significant. If you don't like the book of Revelation, there's only one reason. It's because you think there are revelations... If you understand that there is only one revelation, and it's of Jesus Christ, you'll love the book. 
People think the book of Revelation is, is about mysteries and hidden things and things disguised behind symbols. That is not true. The name of the book is not hidden. It's Revelation. It's not trickery. In fact, the first word in the Greek text is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis, we in our generation think apocalypsis or apocalypse is some cataclysm that's going to take place at the end of time and destroy everything. That's not what apocalypsis means. Apocalypse means revealing. It's like when the new music video finally hits the, the, the Internet. It's now been revealed. It's released. That's what is happening in the book of Revelation. It's not before the movie comes out. Now the movie's out. It's not before the, the new CD of whoever your favorite musician is. It's now been released. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's the releasing of things. So if you think it's full of disguise and trickery and, and hidden things, you don't understand. You're missing the point. And others think that the book of Revelation is all futuristic. It's of no practical value. Three times in the book of Revelation, it says the things that are and the things that are to come. That means it has practical value for now and it has future value in the future. But if you only think that it's about revealing the future, you're missing the point. It is about now and the future. So hold those two in tension. Now, How many of you enjoy a good fireworks display? Have you ever sat and watched one? No, we watched three. We didn't go anywhere. We put on our television and we watched first the Washington, D.C. And then we saw New York City Harbor fireworks display on another channel. And then we flipped the channel and watched the Boston Pops and over the Boston Commons and the harbor there. So we watched all three going right up the East Coast. Well, I've often sat and watched the great fireworks display. We've, we've sat right there and watched them go all off overhead. This year was on television. But I've often thought, wouldn't it be cool if they just lit them off all at once? Have you ever, have you ever thought that? I mean, come on, let's just, just go ahead and shoot the wad. Just, just take all, all of them. Well, watch this. San Diego, this year. Eighteen seconds. A 30-minute fireworks display in 18 seconds. It could have blown up San Diego. I mean, they're suing the company that ran the uh, fireworks display, but that is a literal. That's literally what happened. And the last thing you hear on the on the YouTube videos are awesome. And then, and then the next word is, is that it? Well, you don't. There is an advantage to watching a 30-minute fireworks display in 15 or 18 seconds, but it's like, it's like shock and awe. The book of Revelation can be like that. It's like so much going off all at once, you don't speed read Revelation. And you probably don't preach it in one Sunday either, but here we go. Here we go. Now, as you know, for, for every book of the Bible, we give a know this book section. And that's to get our arms around the whole book. The book of Revelation is easy when you deal with it, things that are and things that are to come. The first four chapters are the things that are. Chapter 5 through 22 are the things yet to come. 
And we saw last week the book of Jude loved the number three. He loved preaching a three-point sermon. Well, the book of Revelation loves seven. There are seven churches. There are seven candlesticks. There are seven angels. Um, it goes on and on. Seven. And then you get into the seven trumpets and the seven seals and the seven great signs and the seven bowls of wrath and the seven final events. My favorite are the seven blessings. It's a book of sevens. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. It's a blessing for anyone who reads and hears the oral reading of the book of Revelation. It's the only book of the Bible that promises that kind of a blessing. But that's only one of seven. It goes on. Chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, for they will rest from their labors and their deeds will follow them. Another blessing. Chapter 16, verse 15. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and shamefully exposed. Talking about... uh, walking in purity and moral integrity as we face the end of history. Revelation 19 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. And they will be priests to God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. And finally, Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have a right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The sevenfold blessing of God. Seven because it's the number of completion. This book takes all the loose ends of history and brings them all together in one. One of the turning points in the book is in chapter 5 when John, who's writing this, he's writing it as a political prisoner on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Ephesus, off uh, the coast of modern-day Turkey. And God reveals himself to John. And after speaking to the seven churches, he sees a, a vision of the throne room of God. And then he sees a scroll sealed with seven seals. And it's obvious in the context that that scroll, follow this, that scroll represents the final events in history. What will take place after this is what's contained in that scroll. And there is a moment of sorrow in heaven because no one was found worthy to go and take that scroll and open the seals. Now, if no one took dominion over the final events in history, that would be a crisis of global proportion. All history might unravel. But then, in this dramatic moment of sorrow in heaven, John sees one rise. And it's Jesus. And goes, it's Jesus 
who goes, and it's the only place in the Bible where he at that moment is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he goes and he takes the scroll of the final events in history. And Jesus, who now has dominion over all things in heaven, all things on earth, all things under the earth, he begins opening the scroll and unraveling and showing and revealing and showing his dominion over the final events in human history. Now, I don't know what news broadcast you follow, whether it's CNN or CNBC or Fox News or ABC, CBS, whatever it is that you watch. But there are times in our day when it's enough to give you indigestion. There are looming events, any one of which could totally destroy the global economy. But there is a book in the Bible that shows that Jesus has the scroll in his hands. He has total dominion over the final events that are going to unfold in our day. You can wake up to the news, to bad news one day, but Jesus knew what was going to happen before you ever watched it on your news broadcast. And the beauty of the book of Revelation is that it's written for us who are alive today so that we can be prepared for the things yet to come. And woven like a thread through the tapestry of the book of the Revelation is these words. This is written calling for the endurance, the patient endurance of the saints. And the future events that are unfolded in the book of the Revelation were all in at least seed form spoken by Jesus as recorded in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus talked about wars and rumors of wars, and so does the book of Revelation. Jesus talked about false Christs and false teachers and false prophets coming, and so does the book of Revelation. Jesus talked about earthquakes and tornadoes and upheavals in nature, and so does the book of the Revelation. Now, the revelation may give greater detail and may have some symbols that you and I may not be able to exactly figure out, but don't get lost in what you don't understand. Remember, it's the book of Revelation to reveal truth and go with what is plainly revealed. Now, to all seven of the churches, it's interesting. It follows a seven-point outline for every one of the seven churches. There's the greeting. I write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. There's always a greeting. There's an identification of who's speaking. It's Jesus who's speaking, but each time to each of the churches, he identifies himself differently. Then there is a commendation to the church. I like this about you. Then there is a criticism. I need to adjust this about you. There is a warning. 
And then an exhortation, and the exhortation is always the same. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then there is the promise. And the promise always begins the same and ends differently. It begins this way. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. To every church that Jesus writes to. He's not looking for who's going to fail. He's looking for who's going to overcome. He's not out to point out where we're falling. He's out to call us forth to be overcomers. The word overcomer, which is used once to each of the seven churches, is used 28 times in the New Testament. Fifteen of those times is to the, in the book of the Revelation, so more than half. It's the Greek word nikao, from which a famous sneaker brand out of uh, Oregon, uh, with their swoosh, uh, got their name. They got it from the Greek. Nike, or nikao, is the verb, which means to conquer, to be victorious. Now, the simplest way to understand the book of the Revelation, and we're almost done, is to recognize that there are three themes in the book. This is on the front side of your notes, but if you don't remember anything else, hang on to these three themes, and it will do you well to understand 98% of the book of Revelation. The three themes are these. Number one, Jesus is exalted. Number two, Satan is defeated. And number three, believers are victorious, though tested. Let me give them again. Number one, Jesus is exalted. That is the number one theme in the book of the Revelation. Number two, Satan is defeated. It's the secondary theme of the book of the Revelation. And third, which is the undergirding theme of the book of the Revelation, is believers are victorious, though tested. If all you get out of the book of the Revelation is believers are victorious and miss the fact that they're tested, you could end up with a heresy. That if you follow Christ, everything will be smooth sailing. You're just going to be victorious. That's not what the book of Revelation teaches. We will be victorious, but we will be tested. But listen carefully. The number one theme in the book of the Revelation is what? Christ is exalted. Now follow me. Everyone just look up at me for a second. If you miss the theme that Jesus is exalted in the book of the Revelation, you won't get the second theme or the third. You will never deep down believe. You will, it will never hit you that Satan is really defeated unless you get the fact that Jesus is exalted. And you'll never get the third theme. You will never truly believe that believers are victorious. Unless you understand Jesus is exalted. Because your victory is not dependent on you. Your victory is dependent on Him. So unless you see His victory, you're never going to walk in yours. Your victory is contingent on His. 
And you receiving and walking in that victory is contingent on seeing his victory. And that's why what we're dealing with here is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this part. Oh, I'm coming down the home stretch. When the first verse was written, the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, it was saying the revelation belongs to Jesus, it's His to reveal, and He's the one who is being revealed. He's the subject and the object of the revelation. You're eating this up, Sal. He's just, oh man, we might have to get those uh, paddles to put on. To if uh, Sal goes over the edge here, I can. He's 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 in the red right now. Jesus is the one being revealed. Now follow this. The whole book is around two parts. What is and what is to come. The book of the Revelation, therefore, because it reveals Him, there is one major revelation of the way Jesus is now, and there's one major revelation of of Jesus as He's yet to come. The revelation of Jesus now is Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. And the revelation of Jesus yet to come is Revelation 19, verses 11 to 19. Now let me just read that one for you. The one of Him yet to come. (laughs) you got to love it. It doesn't matter if we know why there's a pale horse as opposed to a black or white or red horse. It doesn't matter if we figure out who the 24 elders are who fall down before the throne or who the beast is that's going to have uh, uh, be raised from the dead. But what matters is, is who is this Jesus who is revealed? Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, who are we talking about? This is Jesus because this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here he comes. He's not on that white horse now, but he's going to be coming. This is who he's, he's coming as. His eyes are blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but he himself. Oh, I love that. i got to just stop on that one. This is one of the things I love about worship is there's always more to discover. I encountered Jesus this morning while we were worshiping him in ways that I hadn't seen him that way for a long time. And that fact that he's got a name that no one knows but he himself reminds me that, Fred, no matter how much you know about God, there's always more to know. I love that. And when He is revealed at that time, there are aspects of who Jesus is that will come to us in those moments. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following Him, riding on white horses, dressed in linen, white and clean. Do you have this picture? They're all on white horses. Everybody else is dressed in white, except Jesus is going to be bright red. Woo! Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword 
with which He will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, I'm telling you. Praise God. Now, that's not the way you see Him today, but He's coming. Because these are the things that are and the things that are to come. Now, roll it back. Who is He today? Turn back a few pages to chapter 1. Begin with verse 10. Revelation 1 contains this incredible picture. Here he says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I'm not the only one who talks with a loud voice. He said, Write on the scroll what you see, and send it out to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And it says then, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's Jesus. Jesus today is not a baby lying in a manger. He's not a a nice man who teaches parables or pats little children on the head. He's not hanging from a cross. He's not a dead body laying in a grave. He's not even a risen body walking on earth. He's ascended. He's exalted. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. This is the closest picture we have of what Jesus is like today. This is the picture, the revelation of Jesus Christ who is. Praise God. And everything else flows out of that vision. This is not the revelations. This is the revelation. And He's the one being revealed. And so when we are told, fix your eyes on Jesus, this is the one we're to be fixing our eyes on. We're not to be fixing our eyes on Jesus dangling from a cross or a little baby in a manger. Now, what does all that mean? Everything has a purpose. The candlesticks represents that the churches, every local church, Lilburn Alliance Church is a flame holder. We hold out the manifest presence of God to the community. That's what we're here for. And Jesus is walking among the candlesticks, checking on, is my manifest presence being held out to the community through that church? He's holding in His hand seven stars. Stars are balls of fire, but they represent the local church leadership. Jesus has dominion over everyone who serves the local church. And He has a robe all the way down to the floor. If you were a servant, it would be cut off at the knees. The fact that it went all the way down to the floor means that he was, He's wealthy. He's, he's got ultimate wealth. And He is kingly. The golden sash, kingly and priestly. The white hair, His wisdom, that He is the Ancient of Days. His feet, burnished bronze, glowing as in a furnace, shows the the suffering that He went through when He died and descended into Hades. 
His eyes like flames of fire indicating that He sees past our phoniness, past our hypocrisy. He cuts all the way down. He knows our hearts. He reads our thoughts. He knows compassionately every need that we have. Out of His mouth, a double-edged sword. It almost seems grotesque, but it's not. It's the fact that He's speaking constantly the Word of God because His voice is like many waters. It's not threatening. It's, it's lovely. It's wonderful. And it keeps pursuing us. It comes and comes and comes. And His face is shining like this noonday sun. What does that mean? What it means is when Jesus was here on earth, He was traveling incognito. No one could recognize that He was the Son of God. It wasn't until a couple years into the ministry, He says, Peter, who do you think I am? He says, you are the Christ. He says, well, the Spirit of God has revealed that. But now, Jesus is glowing in all of His glory. It's who He is. He's not disguising anything. And He's not going to walk on this ground again until He returns like we saw in Revelation chapter 19. No, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ who is and who is to come. Praise God. Don't you love the book of Revelation? Revelation. 